1: Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman. It is week zero. There are two FBS college football games this weekend. And then we are only, what, a week or so away from the whole thing. Pretty exciting
0: times. It is. We talked so much about the season and now it is actually here. What are you looking forward to most about this weekend at least? What do you want to find out?
1: kind of want to find out where Florida and Miami stand and I guess in particular you know I think everybody's eyes will be on Jaron Williams the uh, Miami Redshirt freshman quarterback but also I mean we've talked a lot on here this offseason about Florida and the drama surrounding the Gators and offseason stuff so I'm not necessarily sure that's going to play out on the field in week one, but are we going to see the makings of a top 10 team?
0: I think the Gators at least should be a top 10 team. I think Miami is at least maybe two years away from being along those lines. I just think that what Manny Diaz inherited, especially on offense, was really underwhelming. And I just don't think it's just Jaron Williams. It's an offensive line that has been very shaky for a long time. I do think they have some talent at wide receiver, but it's not like no one's had running backs like Miami's had running backs in the last 20-plus years or whatever, and they don't have that right now. So I think between that and the offensive line, the one thing that could be a saving grace for them is the area where they're best is in the front seven, and Florida has to rebuild an offensive line. They have talented guys, but those guys haven't really played hardly at all. So I think we'll find out a little bit about the Florida offensive line and how Prepared it is. So, the other thing that I think is going under the radar a little bit that I'm very curious to see is the most talented player, I would say, of the weekend, at least he was, you know, a year and a half ago, is Khalil Tate. And he got hurt last year and he was definitely not himself or didn't look like the player in 2017 that he was. I want to see what Khalil Tate does later that night at Hawaii. I want to see if this is the guy. Who was the best player in the Pac 12, or is he the guy last year who really looked hamstrung and, and just didn't look like he was a great fit? I'm, I'm with you
1: there. I was, I became so enamored with Khalil Tate that, that two seasons ago, and I was so excited for to see him last season. And then within a game and a half, it was there goes that. Obviously, we'll have to temper it a little bit because it is, it's not the greatest competition in Hawaii, but Hawaii, though, I, I got them as a bowl team at least. It's not, not, not a total pushover.
0: Nick Rolovich has done a decent job there, but it's just, I think we want to see if the Khalil Tate magic, are we going to see him breaking off 70-yard runs? I mean, he passed the ball pretty well at the end of last year, but it was, are we going to see him really as the dynamic running quarterback? Because, you know, Lamar Jackson was awesome, but really Khalil Tate in the last couple of years was almost unlike anything else we've seen in a while, right? I mean, he was really special and, and put a jolt in that program and then just... It was fizzled right out of the gate last year. Well, for those
1: eight games or whatever it was, he was the definition of a Rich Rodriguez quarterback. He reminded me very much of when Pat White came on the scene uh, at West Virginia. And then under the new regime, at least in that first game, it seemed like they weren't trying to run him at all, which, yeah, I know Rich Rod probably leans on his quarterbacks as a runner more than anybody. But, I mean, Kevin someone had Johnny Manziel. It's not like this was, you know, they're trying to get the guy to play in a pro-style offense, so... Then he got hurt and kind of negated that anyway. Uh, real quick, starting next week, you and I will give our picks for all the biggest games on The Athletic. There wasn't really a natural place to do that this week, so you want to give your Florida-Miami pick, your score?
0: I'm going to pick Florida to win. Miami is a 7.5-point underdog. I think floor, I would take Florida there. I think Florida wins by 10.
1: I'll take the Gators, but I'll take the Canes to cover. Uh, give me... Florida 19, Miami 14.
0: While we're doing it, since there's only two games this weekend of, at that level, Hawaii is an 11-point underdog.
1: Hmm. What do you think? Um, I guess it all depends. Are we getting 2017, Kalilte, or 2018? If it's 2017, uh, and I think it'll be closer to that, I think Arizona. I don't know, though. Playing at Hawaii, um, I will take the Warriors to cover.
0: I will take Khalil Tate to capture some magic. I don't think he's going to be Heisman guy this year necessarily, but I think he will get people pretty excited. And there you go. We're off and running.
1: Back to the podcast in a second. Hey, Bruce, remember last week we kind of, you know, I had to remind you that Kyler Murray was a five-star recruit who did pretty well at his new school.
0: Yes. And some of my friends who listen to the podcast had to remind us both that Cam Newton was once a five-star and
1: I didn't. I didn't agree with that one because he didn't do it voluntarily. He, he, you know, he didn't have a choice but to go to a new school. But anyway, so that podcast came out. I want to say early evening our time. That night, I'm watching SportsCenter, and Kyler Murray preseason highlights are playing, and it was like the worst possible <laughs> sequence of events. He looked completely lost. His offensive line was doing nothing for him. All this is go- as a long way of saying. it's fantasy football time and i can tell you i do not think i will be drafting kyler murray when i enter my lineup on
0: draft so what will you do based on the insight you get from draft
1: well first of all draft is fantasy football where you have a chance to win 3.5 million dollars in real money it's a season long but with no management it's pretty cool you just go on there draft your team and if that's If that's what you want to do and and just leave it from there, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire.
0: No babysitting your fantasy team.
1: No, in fact, you don't even have to set your lineup. Your best players get automatically started, and you'll get the best score every week guaranteed. No salary caps. Leagues start every couple minutes, so you can join one right now. Just do the draft, and you could be a millionaire 16 weeks later. So here's what you do. For limited time only, you can get free entry into the best ball championship when you make your first deposit. But you have to use our promo code Audible. That's right, a free shot at $1 million just by using promo code Audible when you make your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and play free with promo code Audible. Mm -hmm. Moving to another topic. There were a lot of starting quarterback announcements this week. I'm sure there'll be more even... As people listen to this, we focused all offseason on the grad transfers, the transfers who got their waiver. I'm interested to talk about some of the true freshmen that are getting the call. You know, obviously this has been a trend recently. We saw the National Championship game 2 years ago, you had uh, two two true freshmen out there by the end of the game. Last year Trevor Lawrence leads his team and becomes the first true freshman quarterback to win a national title since the 80s. All right, let's start with Auburn. Auburn was choosing between true freshman Bonix and True freshman Joey Gatewood and I think the buzz all through preseason camp was going to be Nick's. He's a five-star guy from the two four seven in the two four seven rating. So,
0: coaches' kid Patrick Nick's, uh, former good Auburn quarterback, and uh, he was a one-point Miami's offensive coordinator. Everybody, now this was. We should preface this by saying this has not been touted as a very good quarterback class relative to other years. Bo Nix was considered one of the most game ready of this class as a coach's kid and I think of the system he came up in. But Joey Gatewood, you know, at one point, Gus on I remember saying this on, he's Gus on said this, I think on SEC Network, titled him as Cam Newton-like, and he was a wow kind of athlete. I'm curious to see if what kind of role they would use Joey Gatewood, even if he's not the quarterback.
1: It sounds like Joey Gatewood, you know, just because how big he is, would maybe be the guy you would say fits the mold a little bit more in terms of what Gus you know when Gus Malzahn has a quarterback who's big and can run like that. But Nick's is just the more talented passer. And guess what? He gets to start off his college career facing Oregon at Jerry World. So what could we realistically expect from him?
0: Yeah, and it's against a new defensive coordinator, Andy Avalos, who the Ducks hired to replace Jim Levitt. They have good front-line talent. I don't know if they have a ton of depth behind them. To me, this is the most intriguing matchup of week one, just to see what we're going to get. But you go down the list, I think there could be the top three ranked dual threat quarterbacks. You know, three of the more touted quarterbacks in this class, Bo Nicks at Auburn, Jaden Daniels, who's a Southern California kid who is the starter at now Arizona State, and Sam Howell, who's the kid who had been committed to FSU and then Mack Brown pulled him to stay in state and go for the Tar Heels who might start. And it's created a lot of buzz there from what I'm told inside the program. I mean, those guys have lived up to their hype, at least in terms of hit the ground running there on their in their new spots.
1: Yeah, I mean this could become the new norm. Now it's notable that, you know, like you said, these there's nobody in this class that was necessarily considered coming out of high school at the same level as Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, but or Tua. But uh, you know, two of the three guys we're talking about here. Are not going to your traditional powerhouse programs. One's going, to, one's going to be the starter at ASU. One's going to be the starter at UNC. So, you know, maybe gives them a little bit of a leg up. But still, we're now we know there's going to be at least three. There's still a chance you could get a guy at TCU, Max Dugan. Uh, although I don't know, I don't think he's considered the favorite right now. Yeah, it's intriguing. You know, obviously I'm excited to see Jalen Hurts play his first game for Oklahoma. I'm excited to see. Justin Fields play his first game for Ohio State. Austin Kendall got named quarterback. The Oklahoma grad transfer got named quarter, starting quarterback at uh, West Virginia. But Bo Nix, starting against the true freshmen, starting against Oregon. Jared Williams, the redshirt freshman. You know These are some of the bigger games of, of the first week, and we're seeing freshmen trot onto the field for them.
0: I mean, look, we should have gotten used to it, though. We've seen freshmen compete for national titles. So by now, I think, look— we've talked about this a lot over the years, these kids, these freshman quarterbacks are way more versed and game-ready than their predecessors were because of, in part, because of all the seven-on-seven seven they play, many of them have these private quarterback coaches who are helping school them, you know, in the offseason to a great degree. And I think also what's happened is, let's be honest, a lot of these quarterbacks aren't very patient to stay around, you know? So I think there is a chance of like, hey, we're going to, we may play the young guy because the young guy may bail you know and some of these quarterback battles have also dragged out into into the fall I think in part because the coaches know that if they made a decision in the spring the kid who the loser quote-unquote of the battle would probably be more inclined to bail because we just see so much of the transfer action going on
1: there's also a true freshman uh, competing at Boise State who also plays in one of the more notable Week 1 games against uh, Florida State. So just an interesting storyline I noticed. All right, who is somebody, doesn't have to be a quarterback, doesn't necessarily have to be a freshman, though this would probably fit the bill, somebody who we haven't seen much of or any of who you're really excited to see out there Week 1, see what they can do?
0: Oh, now you're making it Week 1, no less. Dude, you know, it could no, it can be Week way.
1: 0. It could be Week 0. I'll give you a name. Okay. <laughs> So I'm very, very bullish on the Bulldogs on Georgia. The one area where they're hurting a little bit or have questions at is receiver. George Pickens, the freshman receiver, have you seen the video, the clip?
0: That I did see circulating the video on the around side lines, of the sidelines, the one-handed, yeah, one-handed
1: snatch. One-handed snatch over a defensive back. He could end up being their their go-to receiver as a freshman, like A.J. Green was once upon a time. Now they're playing Vanderbilt in the first game. It's not an FCS team by any means. It's a decent opponent, so that's one I would keep an eye on. Who else?
0: And I got one. It's not a necessarily a, a high-profile game. It's kind of an interesting matchup. But this is when you, you mentioned this before, you said week one. Uh, and they have a big game week three, and it's Syracuse. I want to see what Tommy DeVito, who's taken over the quarterback job from Eric Dungy. He was the most touted recruit Dino Babers has had there. New Jersey kid, you know, very accurate, moves pretty well, but the, he will not run as much as Eric Dungy. They play Liberty. I know, I think you had Liberty as a maybe an eight and four team. It's the uh, place three, seven, seven and seven
1: five, five or six and six, something like that.
0: Yeah, Andy Staples maybe was the eight and five, eight and four person on it. But um, you know, I want to see how he does because look, they play Clemson in week three, and I want to see how how fast Tommy DeVito hits the ground there and and what he does in that offense because they have a bunch of good receivers and I think that team is a top 15 kind of team and if he's as good as I heard I think he's going to be putting up some big numbers in that offense
1: I agree you know one I'd really like to see but I don't know if he's going to win the job it hasn't been announced yet is Tommy Stevens at Mississippi State that's a very intriguing storyline with him reuniting with Joe
0: Moorhead Hey, another one is that we haven't seen is Hunter Johnson at your alma mater. Now he's still competing to to be to win the job there, but that was a former five star recruit went to Clemson. You know, everybody speaks very highly of him, but let's see. You know, it's not like he's going into a system where they're gonna open it up and he's gonna throw for four thousand yards. You know, I think as to some degree Hunter Johnson's been lost a little bit in the Justin Fields hype in the Big Ten of a transfer going in there and a five star one at that. So I. I you know, we have Stanford week one. Selfishly, so I'm very interested to see if, you know, if he's the guy, what he does there on the road.
1: And last but not least, last year, who was one of the breakout freshmen right from week one? Rondell Moore at Purdue. This year, Purdue has its first ever, maybe first ever, five star defensive lineman. And word is, he's just been absolutely dominating their scrimmages.
0: Yeah, George Kalafdis, who actually grew up right pretty much across the street from Purdue. And uh, look, I mean, Brahm has definitely elevated the brand there, and they have some good young talent around him. So the West in the Big Ten is wide open. Do you think? I mean, I don't remember where you, I think you had produced somewhere like I did, like seven and five.
1: Yeah, and I could see them outperforming or underperforming that. You know, a lot is riding on Elijah Sindlar, who has, I think, wasn't he the starting quarterback? Yeah, he was. And they opened against Northwestern last year, he was the starting quarterback. And he threw several interceptions and got pulled, and David Blau was pretty much the guy the rest of the way. So
0: Yeah, he was the MVP of our bowl game. When yeah, he Arizona looked good. In Rich Rod's last game and did it while injured. even though Yeah,
1: they Blau need him to rebound in a big way, place. that's for sure. Yeah. Okay, should we go to the mailbag? Let's do it. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com.
0: Okay, Stu, this question seems to be up my alley. Uh, it's from Ryan. Hey, Stu and Bruce love the pod. It seems like starting this year there aren't big-name head coaching targets at the coordinator or G5 levels. Looking at the two hottest seats, USC and Auburn, who would they realistically target that would appease their fan bases? For this scenario, we will assume that Urban Meyer is not interested in returning to coaching. Would it be Matt Campbell or Bust? Is Bill Clark enough for Auburn fans. Thank you, Ryan, for the question. You know, Matt Campbell to me is an interesting name. I think Stu and I both think the world of him, and he's done a remarkable job at Iowa State. My hunch is that he's he's not going to leave Iowa State at this point for USC if in fact that job does come open, which I suspect it will. And I also think what adds intrigue to this potential vacancy is who is going to be the AD who, who would make the move for USC? Uh, my, my hunch is it's not going to be Len Swann that I think he will be moved out by that point. Uh, as far as options, I think there's a couple that come to mind that I think will be on USC's radar. One, Dino Babers at Syracuse. He's a West Coast guy. He has done a terrific job at three different places, each you know, ascending upwards in scope. This is year four for him at Syracuse. If he has a similar year, and I'm not saying he needs to win double digits, but if he goes anything better than wins eight games, I think his stock will still be really high. He is a very dynamic personality, charismatic, has a exciting offense, big presence. I think that is something that would resonate with a lot of USC people. James Franklin, who did an amazing job with Vanderbilt and has won quite a bit at Penn State and is a big presence as well. I think USC people would be very excited if he was the hire. In terms of the coordinator level, I agree to some degree. Um, I did a story recently for The Athletic on the 40 assistant coaches fans need to know. The top name on that list was Tony Elliott, who's the co-offensive coordinator and the play caller at Clemson. I think there's already folks I know at USC who are intrigued by Tony Elliott. He's going to be very choosy in what his next move is. As I said, Clemson's his alma mater. But he is a West Coast guy, and he grew up and spent a lot of time in San Diego. So I think it would be hard for him to say no to USC if they were to, to go that route. Because it's USC, I, I, I buy the speculation that they would really kick the tires on jack del rio former nfl head coach former really good player at usc um he's going to be at espn this year doing i believe nfl but he will still be pretty visible i'm sure usc will consider him as far as auburn they're more of a wild card who knows which direction and in terms of who's going to be the decision makers there for that it's not like a normal situation where it's really the ad's call i think there's a lot more stuff that goes into it there Bill Clark has done a really remarkable job at UAB, especially restarting the place and hitting the ground running. I think he'd be a, an interesting hire if Auburn chooses to make that move. He's, he's a proven winner now. If they were to go the coordinator route, there's a big name coordinator who I wonder if he would be interested in leaving, and that's at Clemson as well, and that's Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator there who's turned down some decent head coaching opportunities Auburn's a bigger job than those others, but, but Venables gets to coach his son, Jake, there. He is one who knows he has a good situation and maybe isn't, you know, adamant that I have to jump. So we'll see. I mean, again, these are the two biggest hot seat situations, and I think they're real, but we'll see how it plays out.
1: In terms of Auburn, you know what they say, you usually hire the opposite of the guy you hired last time. So Gus Malzahn was the offensive guru. It would make sense if this time around Auburn hired a defensive guru. If you can get Brett Venables, and this isn't specific to Auburn, but to anybody, go for it. Do it. That would be awesome. Now also, the trend in the SEC recently is that you don't hire anybody that's not already within the SEC. So if we go by that, let's see. You could get maybe Dave Aranda at LSU, Mike Elko at Texas A&M, two of the more highly respected defensive coordinators in the country. And then, of course, there's the option where you try to steal somebody from your rival, right? Just like uh, once upon a time, Michigan hired Bo Schembechler away from Ohio State. Heck, that's just this past offseason, Ohio State hired away Greg Madison uh, to be defensive coordinator, hired away from Michigan. But now the problem is, right, everybody wants a Nick Saban protege, but his staff has turned over so often recently that there's nobody left. So, you know, maybe if, if Alabama fields the number one defense in the country this season, maybe Pete Golding will be the head coach of the Auburn Tigers next year, but I don't, uh, that seems like he might not be quite ready for that one. All right, let's, next question.
0: All right, Stu, our old friend in Columbia, South Carolina, Jason Gorlewski writes, great podcast as always. There was a lot of talk about Justin Herbert being the first quarterback taken in 2019 NFL draft if he left school early. He returned to school in a decision that reminded me of Matt Leinert. Critics nitpicked every little mistake Liner made in 2005, overlooking his overall excellence. Will critics nitpick Herbert as much as Liner, or will people acknowledge how skilled he really is? What do you think, Stu?
1: I think it's a different situation because Matt Liner was the national. He won a champion. national title. He
0: won a Heisman. He played well in big games. He played like, great in big
1: games. He was already considered a pretty proven commodity. Whereas Justin Herbert, you know, you're still talking mostly about potential and. The problem is wherever wherever the idea first started that he was going to be a number one pick, you know I think if he'd entered the draft last year, Kyler Murray still would have been the number one pick. Now then it's just a matter of where would he have fit into the pecking order? Would he have stayed above Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins? I don't know, but uh, so are people going to pick him apart? Yes, uh, but I think he's still got a lot to prove. Starting with this game against Auburn, he hasn't had. We've talked about this in the past, right? He needs some some really big performances on a big stage and you know he's he's played very well he's shown his talent but it's not you know he's not in the position Leinart was or even you know when Andrew Luck decided to come back for his his, for another season. Mariota got picked apart when he came back for his next season. I mean they all get picked
0: apart here's you know here's who I think he's more similar I don't think he's like Leinart at all other than you know he's even taller than Matt but Matt liner was surrounded by a lot of skill talent, an immense amount of skill talent. He played on a big stage. He played great in big games. I mean, he torched that Oklahoma team that was supposed to be a closer game than it was. You know, he did well on the road. He rose up in big moments. Matt did not have a huge arm, though. Justin Herbert has a huge arm. I was down at Cal uh, about a month ago and spent a bunch of time around the Cal DBs and it came up about Justin Herbert. He is different from anybody that else played because his arm is so big and you can do everything right. And all of a sudden the ball ends up in a place. It never ends up. No one else can get it there in college football, but Justin Herbert in a lot of ways, he's like the guy who is now with the bills in Josh Allen. Now, I'm not saying I have, I'm more of a believer in Justin Herbert than I am in Josh Allen, but Josh, Justin Herbert struggled. You know, we had him in the in the bowl game where they did beat Michigan State, but it was a really shaky offensive performance. And unlike liner, he didn't have hardly any skill guys around him that are wow guys. I mean, he had Dylan Mitchell, who was a good player, and that was it. So I'm with you. We're going to find out a lot about him. I mean, and look, if he's first pick of the draft guy, this team has a real should be a playoff team I think. I mean cuz they have a really good offensive line, they have enough on defense. You know, they, so they need the running game. More.
1: They need the running game to get you know, it was okay last year with those young guys, it needs to get take and the, the next level. The offensive line
0: should be great, so they yeah. should be often, they should be better.
1: If that happens and if Justin Herbert plays anywhere near number 1 pick level, they they should be pretty good. We shall see. Here's an interesting one about an article that just kind of flew under the radar last week. From Ben in Atlanta, Stu and Bruce, Ross Dellinger at SI published an article about how some Virginia Tech players were willing to throw the final game of the 2018 season so they could avoid a bowl game. As a VT fan, I'm not sure how to react. On one hand, this explains all the transfers over the past 18 months, but on the other hand, I'm struggling to understand how the situation got so bad. What are your general thoughts on the article and the implications for the VT
0: staff and recruits? My read on it, and also from talking to some guys on the Virginia Tech staff, was this was kind of the cross section of the transition from the old, old days of Frank Beamer and that and his his regime to Justin Fuente, who has a much different personality. And I think there was guys who were, you know, not everybody was on the same page, and it got really ugly. And I think you had some talented kids who did not fit. And I don't think in many uncertain terms he made it known that. And I think some I think it just seemed like the locker room imploded. I thought it was a it was kind of a fascinating story. And I think I think I know what you mean when you say when you say it went under the radar, I think you mean this should have gotten more attention than it did. And I think if this happened at Texas or Michigan or Penn State, it probably would have got more attention. It's not say Virginia Tech does, isn't relevant, but I just think it's one of those programs that doesn't quite pop to the level at this stage. Is that, is that a fair assessment?
1: Yes. Uh, it, I mean, there's some pretty eye-opening stuff in there. It wasn't that they said they were going to throw the game necessarily, but that they would basically they wouldn't mind if they lost. The season would just be over. and then they, It was like rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah, and, then a little the, bit and like, then this was current players accusing former guys who have since transferred uh, of saying that stuff. And then, of course, everybody denied it and whatnot, but... Uh, it's been a mess there. You know, I mean, I don't think I realized just how many transfers they had in a short amount of time. My favorite part of the story, and first of all, great job, Ross, in the reporting on this, was that he then had a meeting, Frente had a meeting, and just said, like, everybody air your dirty laundry. Like, tell me what's going on here. Why is everybody transferring? And among the uh, complaints was that they didn't have turkey bacon in the, in, the, in the cafeteria. So they made sure to have turkey bacon ready the next
0: week. Fortunately, you already, as a manager, you're already on top of this, and you heard when Andy Staples is coming, you come prepared with all the, uh, all the meats.
1: I don't think Andy wants turkey bacon. I mean, no, this is a guy who it. just had a story on the site yesterday about stuffed turkey. Yeah, I don't still don't understand how this is possible, but a restaurant in Houston where you can get stuffed turkey legs, and the turkey leg was stuffed with like basically shrimp Alfredo. So <laughs> I don't, only Andy could come up with that. Uh, let's wrap here with Scott. Blue switch. Come on, Scott. you got to do phonetics on that one. Man. I'm
0: going to guess it's Blue Savage. Blue
1: Savage. Okay. You've got to know your last okay. name is tough there. He's putting you on the spot a little bit here. Stu Bruce, I was fascinated by your recent discussion on the programs going from irrelevant to very good and very good to great. In particular, I agree with Bruce that the word great gets used too often today, but I find his standard in which our program can only be described as great if it wins a national title to be too rigid. The following retired coaches are enshrined in the College Football Hall of Fame. Barry Alvarez, Bill Snyder, and Frank Beamer. None of these three men won a national title as a head coach. Can a college football coach be a Hall of Famer and still not be viewed as great in Bruce's eyes because he didn't win a national
0: title? I think Scott would would, uh, would win if, if who's most likely to be a lawyer, him or me, because he's <laughs> made a very compelling case. Yeah. You win, Scott. Because I would agree, certainly Bill Snyder's a great coach, Frank Beamer, a great coach, and I would say the same with for Barry Alvarez. What I would argue with those is, I mean, K-State was god-awful and he elevated them to such a level. Did any of those guys have a great team? I don't know. I don't think any of them did. I know there was a year where K-State, I think this is probably like 2000, maybe it was 1998, where they were, you know, hinging for playing for the national title and it didn't happen. Certainly when Michael Vick was at Virginia Tech, you know, they didn't, come that close to beating Florida State, but they were there for the national title game.
1: Yeah, They were uh, leading that game at the start of the fourth quarter. So okay. uh, I would say those were great teams. Here's what I would recommend to you in terms of how to adjust your lexicon. I think, yes, still use it a little bit sparingly. But, you know, Virginia Tech under Frank Beamer had a great program. I would be Bill Snyder under Kansas State at its peak under Bill Snyder had a great program. What you want to reserve, though, for just Alabama and Clemson they are the premier programs.
0: Is elite? Because elite gets overused. Uh, gets used a ton now. I you think don't, that you word that. has
1: been has uh, weird connotations. Just say either premier or just say premier. I like premier. I
0: I'd go with that. All right. Am I going to expect an email from our staff now that you? Uh, this is this is an edict. No, I'm not. Uh, I'll tell you about the great thing. I'm not going so, uh, to hold anybody to so it. So probably like five years ago, maybe it was a little more than that, I did, Jim Rome would have two media people on, there's a panel where he you know discuss topics, and I would get paired with Jim Trotter, who's a longtime NFL writer and, and uh, NFL reporter, and really respect the heck out of Jim, and we got in this discussion about the word great, and he convinced me of it. It was like, this is kind of a sacred word. Don't overuse it because it cheapens it, and... I think he's right. So, I don't know. This is really semantics and and writerly egghead stuff, but I'm going to hold true to my my word on that.
1: Fair enough. Uh, We're out of time for this week. Just want to let you guys know real quick that starting next week, we will be back at our rarely scheduled programming time, Monday mornings, Pacific time, will be our podcasts for the whole season. And also, if you love podcasts, keep a close eye on the Athletic app next week. Because we will be rolling out a whole bunch of new college football podcasts one big national one and then about a dozen team specific ones so stay tuned for that we'll see you next time if you haven't done so already please subscribe to the audible on apple podcasts google play spotify wherever you get your podcasts leave us a five-star review while you're at it it helps get the word out thanks to trader joe's for being our presenting sponsor our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octave. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel on Twitter, and Bruce at Bruce Feldman, cfb. and subscribe to The Athletic. If you haven't done so already, you can try it for free, seven-day free trial at TheAthletic.com slash
0: free trial. So come on, get over here.